0: OTB AM I was really triggered. We don't want Johnny Sexton having any part of any Netflix curse ahead of the World
1: Cup. OTB AM, live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app.
2: The Koi Gig on OTB Sports, in association with Cadbury.
0: A player and a half, deserves a glass and a half of support. Top pocket goal! It's what dreams are made of.
1: They are going to the World Cup Finals! Hello and welcome back to the Coey Podcast. My name is Alana Canan and I'm subbing in there for Kathleen McNamee today. But don't worry, alongside me are two familiar faces in former Irish internationals, Emma Byrne and Karen Duggan. How are you going on, guys? Very well. You look a lot happier than Kathleen. (laughs) I know
0: (laughs) you do uglier. She's not used to spending this much time with us. We haven't broken her down yet.
1: Yeah. I'd say Kathleen's a lot happier than us now away on holidays but um, how did you find the weekend without the WSL action? Must have been a gaping hole in there obviously the FA Cup but
0: I was fine, I enjoyed it I I had a lovely weekend Um, we did a bit of team bonding with P-Mount good clean fun you know Uh, so that was good enjoyed the break, I'm not going to lie I did not watch much of the FA Cup (laughs) I did I watched
2: some of the FA Cup and I had a game it's where I was still playing I need to uh, like really tell myself I'm not playing anymore it's not me I don't have a game I was working on a game Uh, Roma the Italian League Roma Sassuolo so I had fun trying to pronounce some of those names. Uh, if it didn't sound like a pizza topping, it was probably very, very wrong. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, still working away all day Sunday doing that. And then I watched some of the games on Saturday. So, yeah, I missed it. I
1: missed the WSL, the league. Uh, quite a bit of Irish involvement as well in the FA Cup, but the main news of the weekend, of course, was the Katie McCabe transfer talk or uh, lack thereof. I guess. What did you guys make of the rumours circulating that there was a substantial bid in from Chelsea? Of course, it's really strange.
0: Strange, yeah.
1: It's
2: really strange. I, when I read it, I was just laughing. I was like, "What's going on here? There's something going on behind the scenes." Mm. So I, I sent a few voice messages to different parties and I was like, what is that? (laughs) Like, what's going on? Um, The thing is, usually these things don't really happen unless somebody has agreed something or expressed some form of interest. interest. Yeah. Yeah. Like a team like Chelsea, they don't normally put a bid in unless there is some kind of inkling that that player Yes. wants to go, but that wasn't the case. Katie didn't really know Anthony about it. I mean, obviously she knows Chelsea wants. I mean who doesn't who wouldn't want to sign mm. her um I mean, if that were me, I would be like, i'm gonna wind. Jonas I develop because he puts her on the bench which for me is an insult to my team you're you're not putting your best team out there mm-hmm. um, and the fact is that um, Katie didn't know much about it so there it wasn't a case of them having those conversations no um, but I still thought it was a bit strange because Katie's got another year and a bit left in her contract half, yeah, 18, yeah
1: 18 months I think
2: yeah and there's no way Arsenal would let her go it wouldn't matter
0: how much? I mean, obviously, it wouldn't matter. If well, not to Chelsea anyway, your main title rivals.
2: No, no. So I don't know. I think it was kind of like, think about it. We're going to do this. I want you to think about it. And I know you're going to be thinking about it for a while. It's all kind of mind games going on, which is a lot of fun, obviously. But I
0: guarantee you, she plays for the rest of the. This it year. picked up more attention than any other actual transfer in this window. So do you
1: think that? like that's kind of why it was played into a bit, given like she's played in all 10 of Arsenal's WSL games so far, but has come on a sub in in some of them and hasn't played every single minute.
2: I mean, it's strange. First of all, he's playing her as a left back position, which we all know that's not where she plays. He also has a very good left back in Steph Catley, who's starting to play there again because the centre backs are back there, Raphaeli and, and Leah uh, Williamson's back. So the point is, my point is that she never should have been playing in the first place. Don't drop her because now you do have your left back back. Put her in her position because um, she is the best in that position. And I think personally, I think it's just a little dig saying,
0: if you're not going to play her, we want her type of thing. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's, I I don't think this is the worst thing for Katie in the oh world. Oh my
2: God, it's amazing. Like, it's the best I mean, your stunt ever. Yeah,
0: she's <laughs> been completely talked about being bigged up because she should be starting at a championship winning club. So, yeah.
2: Listen, so, Katie Kate can go wherever she wants. And I know that for a fact. She yeah. can go wherever she wants. She could go to Barca next week if she wanted to and be like pretty much sure of winning a Champions League very easily winning the league maybe too easily there's no nobody really challenge them so yeah i mean her options would be open and it's going to take a lot of money for her to go not just her per, her personal contract i mean for arsenal to release her and i'm not sure they will do that
1: yeah, interesting you mentioned um, Barcelona there. Obviously, Kira Walsh went to Barcelona on a record fee, reported to be around £400,000. Hypothetically, if Katie was to go somewhere, do you think it'd break the standing transfer record?
2: I think I it know. might within be England because they know her value. Maybe what was this
0: rumored to be two fifty.
1: Yeah, and obviously that will kind of meet the Beth Beth England's move from Chelsea to Spurs. She was well worth that.
2: That's that's pocket change for Chelsea. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I and also with the Kira Walsh move, you know, you hear about these things, biggest transfer, you know, lots of money. She actually paid for some of that so she could actually leave city. So there's a lot of different, like there's a background to it. It's not just a a black and white case. Yes. She's she's worth it. uh, Very much worth it. it. Very much worth it. Um, But I I had to laugh at the whole Katie thing because um, I was getting messages on my Instagram, direct messages. Please, please, Emma, tell Katie not to go. I'm like, who actually thinks I can influence this? Like, does anyone actually believe I'm going to be able to, like, tell Katie where to go or not? I if do. I were... Agent Burn in the background. <laughs> if I were her
1: agent. <laughs> would, it, would it kill you to see her in a in an Arsenal shirt, Emma? Or, sorry, in a Chelsea shirt even? No, not at all. I want
2: Katie to win a Champions League. I want us to be up there with the best. And yes, I believe Arsenal can do that, obviously. um. But I do think Chelsea, with Emma Hayes as manager, I think <laughs> K.E. would love to work with Emma. And I think Emma's just on, on a, you know, she's a different class and manager. I mean, not even just football, just in general. Um, she's a real good person to be around. And I think her signings are better than Arsenal's. And I think she knows how to win the Champions League. So I think they're just that one step closer to that. And especially with Kimmy, Kimmy, if Kimmy Little retires or if anything happens to Kimmy, it's disastrous for Arsenal.
1: Definitely. Well, it gave us plenty to talk about and speculate over over the weekend, but it seems to be put to bed there now. The Koi Gig pod on OTB Sports is is in association with Cadbury FC, official snack partner to the Republic of Ireland women's national team. Obviously, there was no team of the week due to no WSL action, but what we do have instead is a bit of a bumper episode looking back on a massive moment in Irish football history, Liberty Hall in 2017. And we'll be talking about that next. So a fantastic year approaching for the women's national team at their first ever major tournament in the World Cup in Australia in the coming summer. But if you remember upon qualification in that famous night in Scotland, many of the players referenced those who came before them as an integral part in getting them to that point. The journey has had its ups, but also its fair share of downs and none more so, I think can be said, than the proposed strike just over five years ago now, which, as I said, is the focus of today's episode. It's such a big topic. It's kind of hard to know where to start, but just to set the scene, I guess, how different was the women's football landscape back in 2017 Um, from two of you who were there, of course? There's no money. I know that for a yeah. fact. <laughs>
0: we were all paupers. <laughs> I mean, that is it, the, essentially it, like the investment that is there now, which could still be better was not there. Um, and that's investment in basics, um, uh, very, very basics. And it's important that you kind of said proposed strike there. We never actually went on full strike. We proposed a strike because we felt we had no other options. Um, they absolutely dragged the arse out of that mediation crap before we went into camp the next day. Um but yeah, it was it was an interesting time. Busy, I mean, busy it, on the WhatsApps anyway.
2: It did when you actually think back to the the very, very beginning of this, like it was it's ridiculous what actually happened because I remember, like, playing in England. Well, first of all, can I just say the, you know, the problem was that we couldn't stay together as a team because people had to work. They couldn't take any more holidays off. They had taken all of their holidays by March, which means they had to take, um, you know, time off without pay. Some had mortgages as, you know, normal people. And it just meant that we were losing a lot, a lot of players uh, in training camps and in games as well. I remember Julianne couldn't play a couple of games and she was so important to us, Julianne Russell. Yeah. Um, So that was our main problem. Like That was the frustration. Why can we not like have something done for these girls who were working, which was a good 85% of the team? Yeah. I don't know why I said five, a good 80% of the team. So it was, it was very frustrating. And we, I was playing in England and I could see what... You know the English girls were getting and how they were being supported, and it was massive over there. Like the the jump from being semi pro to pro, and not just that, just from the FA in general. Like the stuff they were doing with the central contracts and the training, the extra training. Um. So I spoke to the Professional Football Association in England, and I just I asked them like, is there anything they could do for us? You know, just to support us or give us some advice and. They said, no, because we're Irish. I was like, well, that makes sense. And they said, but there is a a PFAI in Ireland. And I was like, really? I'd never heard of, of the PFA in Ireland. Like I'd never spoken to anyone around like that. So anyway, went on from there. I sent a little email, um, to Stephen McGuinness and just chat, just saying hello or whatever. And then we met at a. PFAI, PFA dinner in England and we just started chatting and that's how it basically started and he they got involved with it um, but literally it was just to try and support the team so we could all train together and be the best we could be because I was really tired we were good enough to qualify and I was so sick of seeing the likes of England, Scotland probably Wales as well like developing more than us when we actually had a better team we would better younger players and stuff like that so I was just we were worried that it wasn't
0: going to get any better and there was a lot of time invested in that team and I (laughs) think that's important like we did have the talent but we lost a lot of people from say my age group because they just weren't nurtured through after under 19, because there was no structure in place to kind of keep girls of that age who could, because girls do develop later. Girls can come into their own in their early 20s and break into the squad, but there was no support to offer more training or encourage them really. Like, I mean, you were playing purely for pride. You weren't playing because it was this wonderful place to be where you felt your needs were being catered for the whole time. It was literally because you loved playing for Ireland so much.
2: Yeah, that's probably why we were all so close though as well because we, from an early age, we were there for each other because we Mm. really enjoyed training with each other, playing with each other. Um, But worse than that as well, before we even talk about money, there was no structure of like support for the girls if they had a problem or if they had, you know, questions. There was nothing. You had your manager, their staff, and that was it. And I know from... You know, way back in the day, there were many, many girls who, who weren't happy for one reason or another. And there was nowhere for them to go, no one for them to talk to and stuff like that. Which, again, um, the FA had done much better in England about that.
1: Yeah, definitely a whole lot to unpack just yet. Yeah, but like going back to that, when you said uh, you met up with McGuinness, how did they progress then to the... Famous I guess press conference that a lot of people will be familiar with you know recognize the photos and videos that was on the fourth of April two thousand
2: and seventeen well um before actually before we spoke to Stephen, we had gone in and and tried to speak to John delaney um it was actually Sue Ronan who suggested that we do that because you know Sue wanted better things she wanted to change this as well but it was difficult for her because she
0: was in the FAI you know her mm-hmm. boss was John was Delaney manager, when she was manager that wasn't her main job like it right. was mad like yeah, the senior international manager is a part-timer
2: yeah so she was kind of saying to us why don't you go in and speak to John Delaney you know the, you know Robbie Keane's done it and you should go in and do it and we are like yeah okay we'll do it so we were like who wants to go in and I was the captain. So I was like, yeah, I'll go in. I'll go in. Obviously, who wants to come in with me? And, um, do you know what? I can't even remember who came in, to be honest. It, it was Anya. Anya was there. Definitely. And I think Nifahi came in the first time. Yeah, I think so. And there was a whole. Plan drawn up and it was all, oh, really very concerned and we'll do this and we'll do that and we'll see if we can get funding from here. Give us a few weeks or a couple of months to try and get this together and we'll send you a proposal. And we were like, great. This sounds brilliant. We're, we're finally getting somewhere. Anyway, nothing was done about it and we were there six months still waiting. So then another meeting came about where Anya and I think Louise Quinn went in, right? Karen, were you ever hmm. in one of those? And again, just they were pushing for, you know, more stuff we needed. And again, nothing really happened. So then
0: service at that point.
2: Yeah, Yeah. I think for me, it was just that was even worse because they knew we were, you know, we, we were emotionally drained. We there was nothing left for us to do. This was our last resort. And we basically said that. So the fact that, you know, they knew that and they knew that. We weren't in a position to, to do our best to play our best as a team. Um, and nothing was done about it. That's what kind of really frustrated us. And we said we'd had enough. So it's when Stephen McGuinness and his team stepped in and kind of took over from there. Because as bad as it sounds, our mentality is typically Irish, it's grand, sure. We'll just keep going and we'll hopefully something will happen. But no, it, it never happened. And we needed support from a bigger team or, you know, team
0: of professionals to take us through to the next step. And what was different about them is you actually felt like you were getting listened to, like they were shocked by all the stuff that we were saying and they couldn't believe that this was going on, you know?
1: And interesting as, interestingly as well at the time, from what I've read anyways, you guys weren't actually represented by the PFAI as a t- at the time. As I say, Emma, you weren't even kind of familiar. We, with...
0: we weren't professional footballers.
1: Yeah, that's we, the thing. And would, were there were no remit there. for
0: them to represent us, and um, particularly because it was a lot of the home based girls who were the ones who needed the additional support. So they couldn't like step in earlier than us reaching out to them.
1: And how did, like, that process, as you say, was that initi- initiated in, in those conversations there, or did any of the. I remember meeting
0: Stephen a good bit. Me and Anya would have met him a good bit before we kind of progressed. And there was a hell of a lot of emails sent on our behalf by them um, with very little response. um, And they really just grew passionate about it and like really wanted action and knew how to take that more than what we would. Because like I said, we were all doing our own stuff. We were drained. Doing the yeah. job that we have to do because we can't afford to not be doing it and take the days so off.
2: Difficult. It's so difficult when you're a player because you are controlled by, by, you know, people above you. At the end of the day, football is like that. If, if you kind of step out of line or if you push someone's buttons, you can be dropped, you can be gone. Like I've seen it happen through the years with many, many players. And um, so that's always in the back of your mind like how far to push something are you going to you know upset someone and stuff like that
0: and realistically that was tabled to us we were all received phone calls where that was mentioned that that could happen to us but the fact that we as a collective had decided to stick together at that point kind of was the the strength in numbers thing you can't drop all of us just kind of rode our luck on that because it was said to us individually everyone got a nice hostile phone call at some point.
2: Yeah, and the the other thing that was difficult as well because, uh, was that uh, Sue was actually leaving and mm-hmm. we were getting a new manager in who happened to be Colin Bell. <coughs> so I remember my first conversation with him was before anybody knew that we were planning on, on even going a step further mm-hmm. and just saying, you know, we, we can't possibly go in and play this game type of thing we're going to threaten to go and strike. Nobody really knew about that. And he rang me as the new manager and me as captain and we were chatting. He was like, oh, I'm really, he was really excited about his new job. And he <laughs> I was like, "So, I, I can't wait to work with you, all this kind of stuff. And I was like, me too. <laughs> you know, that kind of bubbly conversation, everyone's a little bit excited. And I'm thinking, oh Christ, he's coming in at a really bad time. And I'm like really stupid. I'm just always thinking about other people when I shouldn't. I should just be like, stick to the job, Emma. But I was like, listen, Colin, there's something going to happen in the next few. And Stephen McGuinness told us, do not tell anybody what's happening. It has to be, it has to come from us. It has to be official, all this kind of stuff. So I was like to Colin, listen, there's something happening in the next few days, but don't worry about it. It's nothing to do with you. There's nothing personal against you. It's we we're, we are in conversation with the FBI, but you don't worry about it and we really want to play the game. That's all I'm going to say. We really want to play. <laughs> and he was like, "What are you talking about?" And I was like, "Don't worry about it. Just, you know, just call me whenever you need and I'll try and explain or whatever." And that was the end of the conversation <laughs> and then he must have got news that what was happening
0: and uh yeah, that wasn't... Didn't and the tone it? changed a tad from that bubbly <laughs> conversation, I'd imagine.
1: Just a bit, I'm sure. But yeah, I think that's fascinating. And I think people will be interested to know that, that the likes of Sue Ronan, um, you know, it wasn't due to their managerial situation that kind of they also wanted something to change here as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously... You know, as a
2: manager, you you want to be able to pick your best team. And if I were, was a manager at that time, I'd be like, how can I not have my best team together training? As, as an international team, why don't I have my full team for my full six days or whatever, instead of some coming in on the third day, some coming in the day before a game because they had to work? Like, I wouldn't have had that. I wouldn't have had it. I, I It's not acceptable. Um. And it was a difficult position for Sue. So yeah, Sue suggested that we go in and speak to Delaney to try and resolve it a little bit. And of course, every manager wants their best team, but it was up to us to to drive it. And it was a difficult position for us because, as I said, we were playing Um I don't feel like we had the authority to do it, but at least we felt we could go to the PFAI because we felt they did have the authority and they knew what they were doing.
1: And you touched on there earlier, Karen, the strength in numbers. Uh, yourselves and 12 other players um, were in Liberty Hall that day when the press conference was called and the national media was. were all there. Do you remember how you were feeling on the day, kind of before it all happened and then while it was playing out?
0: I don't think we really knew what to expect. I remember going into like a room before we went out to the press conference and we were kind of deciding who'd speak and stuff. I remember Emma forcing me to speak. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I had all I, I had the really boring bit. I was like, basically you have to take four today's holidays if you're on a basic wage of 30 grand it adds up to this much per year, blah blah blah, like really boring bit. And then someone said tracks sits and sure blew it all out of the water. But, um, <laughs> there was loads of different bits like that. Like everyone kind of was coming at it from their perspective. Obviously I was a home based person, um, playing in the women's national league who had a full time job. Um and we were kind of asking for them to kind of like build relationships with our employers so that we can train more. We can again just look for more training and, and things like that. It, that was really the crux of it was trying to get us to as close a level as the girls who are playing professional as possible. And in order to do that, we need to be able to like be at training the whole time. Um provide sessions for us home-based sessions more than what we're getting at the moment, have more structure around that. Um they were the real think points we wanted to get across. We had a big long list of things, um, and yeah, we kind of just divvied out who was going to speak. Um, obviously, Anya was there as well. She did a lot of meetings with the PFAI. Emma, as the captain um, and kind of leader of the whole thing, had to spearhead it. So I don't know how you felt, Emma. I was obviously bricking it because I don't I wouldn't be the best the old public speaker at that point.
2: <laughs> No, but you know what my problem is. I cry a lot. I'm the same because <laughs> confrontation.
0: Like when I get angry, I cry. So I. I like cry when I'm to-
2: angry. I cry when I see babies. I cry <laughs> when I see dogs. I cry if someone asks me a difficult question. So I was like, there was such a, a roller coaster of emotions. Um, I was excited to to do something i was nervous i was really nervous about how the press were going to perceive us i don't know if they didn't know if they were going to be on our side and that's such a powerful thing you know again i think it's an irish mentality stop
0: moaning just yeah. get on with it type of thing and i that's was... actually something that struck me like sitting the front row i don't didn't know everyone in it. i just knew kind of say jackie hurley and stuff and just remembered their reactions when they were taking their notes and they were just shaking their heads like yeah couldn't believe it, like which you, kind of
2: made me cry again,
0: yeah. <laughs> but it also kind of like relaxed me a bit, I think, because it felt justified because we do have that in the back of our head, all oh, we don't want to be moan, and we don't want to make a bigger deal of this than it is, but we should have been making a bigger deal of it long yeah. before we did,
1: but yeah. also like I think it's important to mark out as well. you weren't asking for like I don't know an exceptional like otherworldly amount of things. it was basic. Things like um, loss of earnings,
0: relationship with employers, more training, of, lack of more training was okay. more and better training and yeah. how we would facilitate that was. Yeah. The big I thing. mean,
2: to be to be quite honest, for me, the the players like Karen and the younger players who had more years in their career were far braver than, than like me, for example, who I knew I was on my way out the door. Like I'd planned to stay another year and then finish, even though I threatened to retire for years. So it was easier for me. Like that's when I was like, this is my time. If I don't do this now, I'm never going to do it. And I have to make it easier for the people coming behind me. Um, because it's not an easy position to be in. And I don't really care what happens to me if I get chucked off the team, which I, completely myself I'll never forget myself and Anya having a conversation before we went in to Liberty Hall and we just said to each other listen this is it for us <laughs> we we're like this is it for us we're we're never going to play for Ireland again or if we do it will be like we're going to get pushed out the door and she said to me well I'm going to take that do you want to take that I was like I'll take it as well so we're going in here knowing
1: exactly what's going to happen Um. And and that's what's... Was there that fear there, uh, Emma and Karen as well? You know, because I read reports as well that there were discussions, I'd say, with the FAI that if you were to go ahead and do this and air these grievances, that you were going to, quote, endanger careers at club and international level.
2: No, the quote was, it is detrimental to women's football. That was one of them. And... That nearly made me laugh, actually. And considering the person who said this is probably detrimental to women's football, to be quite honest. Um, And then the other one was, well, I'd heard that the younger players' parents were getting phone calls. Basically, I mean, a threat? is it a threat saying, make sure your daughter doesn't go to this uh, strike in Liberty Hall or this press conference? And then... Basically, I got a phone call saying that you tell those players that they will never play for Ireland again if they don't play this game. Well,
0: so, so yeah. well I got that phone call directly as well. Like, mm. if you don't, if you go ahead with this your your career is being jeopardised and it was like taking this phone call at work and being like yeah well we're all doing it anyway <laughs> so <laughs> what can you do because like we'd obviously decided no matter what at that point that we were going to go through with it and
1: was it that pushing for improved standards for the next generation that did spur you on to do it well it wasn't for us was it like we, we knew we
2: weren't going to reap the benefits of that so and that's what I don't know about you Karen but it made it a lot easier for me because I would struggle to go in and say, I want, I want, we want this now. No, it was for the years to come. They can't ever go back on that now. So we knew it wasn't going to get any worse. Um, It could only get better for those players. I didn't realise the actual, the impact it would have, to be yeah. honest. But it was just basically to try and get that team to a higher level and uh, no matter how we did it, whether it was a new coach, new manager, better team. We didn't
0: get everything that we set out to get. I think that that's only kind of common about more now. Um, It had the landscape of the game has changed as well in that now 80% are professional. And there was a big push, obviously, after that for everyone to go professional. And the likes of the home-based players like myself, we were edged out a little bit uh, but it's probably for the betterment of the team that everyone does go professional but again there could be more in place I think still to keep home based players playing at a higher standard during those kind of vulnerable years after the 19 to 23, 24 because a lot of our girls aren't going to be ready to go to a good league until that age um, so I think there's still more that could have been done, that's what I wanted to achieve out of it was yeah um, Getting better structures in place for that. And, and Emma, you're a big advocate of the likes of academies and things like that to try to they- get those set up. They're still a bit away from what we are now. Um, so there's still definitely work to do, but at least what it has brought about is an acute like media like focus on the team. And that has probably been the biggest push to improve standards that they don't want to be embarrassed. I think they felt embarrassed by what we did and it reflected very poorly on them. And now they're at a point where they need to, the FAI need to like change that perception of who they are as an organization. So in pushing women's standards forwards, they're starting to kind of change that and get a bit more goodwill from the media.
1: And why do you think at the time it wasn't a priority to have these standards, which again were kind of basic enough when you're looking at the list now that um there will it's be business things. It's a
0: business. We weren't going to bring in the money. This was going to take money away from certain areas or people. um It should have been a priority because, again, you have to invest, get out and back out of it. But I, I see it as, that, as a business decision. We weren't going to bring yeah. anything back to the FAI. So a-
2: and we? as well as that, nobody... Was saying anything nobody was crying nobody was anything. demanding anything so for years and years even though i remember when i first started when i was like i was 14 <laughs> when i first started with the seniors and i remember them saying stuff but it would be between themselves so right from the beginning there mm-hmm. have been people trying to get more but just not being you know very efficient with it um and, and nobody was, you know, saying it to the right people. So that's where it was a big help for us with the PFEI because otherwise we were just like the girls before us, just like, can we do this? Why can't we do this? What if you did that? Could we do that? And there was no,
0: you know. And like PFAI. the way the likes of Stuart Gilhoolie and McGinnis spoke, like we wouldn't have been able to do that. Like we wouldn't have been able to get our point across in the way that they did. we, had all our facts and figures together but I think that the way that they spoke to the media it was really impactful as well
1: um, mm-hmm. and, and
0: we needed that representation.
1: You alluded to it a bit earlier but did you kind of expect um, how everyone would react because it was the top story not only in all the sports outs- outlets like Off the Ball and uh, others but also the main evening news as well.
0: No not at all I mean I popped out for a couple hours from work and I went back to work and then everyone was like we saw the first conference and stuff and I was like, oh, right. They've never really spoken to me that much about it or about football or anything like that. And people who wouldn't have been interested in football coming up to you. I think that was kind of the thing that was surprising. It became like a bigger matter than just supporting the Irish women's team. Um, yeah.
2: I mean, everybody was talking about it, but they were frustrated yeah. I like could be going down for a pint. I'd finish playing for this stage. By <laughs> way. I was going down, for, I'd be going down for a pint in the pub and people would be like effing and blinding about it. And I'd be yeah. like, whoa, relax. <laughs> it's getting sore. It's just getting sore. They'd be like so
0: frustrated. And um, that, you know, that's how we were treated. So and it, Yeah. I think it took on like a whole, like the focus on women's sport. I think it was a representation for a lot of women's teams who have been through kind of similar just kind of, oh, we have a team, but it's almost like a token team that we don't, mm-hmm. we're just ticking a box with them. But we felt like obviously we had the talent to push on and, and get more out of this. And obviously we have now, a bit late for us, but
2: look, right, We're out once. Well, you You've got a chance to go back. We're going to start <laughs> <don't>, a
0: campaign. <laughs> I,
2: don't I don't think, think so.
0: Doing all your I actually work didn't on. last that long after. I think I only played for another year after that. I don't think it was a year, was it? I even probably, no. You missed me. You missed yeah, me. That was it. The crack
1: was like, gone. <laughs> I'm no good and
0: I'm not terrified for my life. Right <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, resulting out of that whole uh, day, though, there was, of course, as would say, the media kind of frenzy, and then the FAI put out an official response, which, when you read it now, reads uh, a bit defensive in itself. You know, they reference how... Uh, basically, they saw the situation as an ultimatum and how they had tried to mediate beforehand uh also their reference funding and that, quote, the senior women's national team are provided the standards of care expected of a demanding high performance environment. Like to read that afterwards must have been such a gut punch, but also quite, I suppose, validating to you guys that everyone could now see the mindset, I guess.
0: Yeah, they that that was a ridiculous statement. I think they completely shot themselves in the foot going on the defensive there because it was so basic what we were asking for. It was so so basic. And it, the fact that they insulting. came out defensive to that. It was It was insulting as well. It because, was insulting. I remember going on like, I think maybe Radio One or one of them, and like Noel, who had obviously Noel King, who had managed us um previously, who'd seen kind of what could have been done, but nothing was done about it. And he was obviously one of the FAI employees, so he obviously had to defend them. But it was just really hard to just be like, you know, you know that things need to be improved. And yet you're taking this line that, oh, no, you get what you need. I was, yeah, um, I mean,
2: that's what needs to change in the FAI basically that mentality, that whole mind, well, around the world, really. Mm. And I'm not saying we kickstarted something around the world, but we're definitely mentioned like that whole situation. And and I know FIFPRO reference it all the time. Um, But that mentality has changed just in general, in life in general, not even in sports, just about females around the world, empowerment, and, you know, just being able to speak up and stand up for yourself and having that, confidence to do that. Um but like with us with the FAI, it was that mentality. We had that mentality as well. Like we didn't feel like we could ask for stuff and we didn't really know if we should do it. Like there was a lot of him and Han and uh we needed somebody to push us and say no, that's right. So like what Karen was saying, when we were in the press conference and seeing people's reaction because I didn't know what to expect. And everybody was like, there was a few gasps. I was like, oh, my God. Like, this is like, sounds really bad, doesn't it? Yeah. (laughs) It sounds bad because it is bad. Mm. So, yeah, it was...
1: Especially looking back, because it's only five years ago. It's not 50 years ago, I think, is the start thing about it. Because when you read the list of the issues to be addressed, it's access to a nutritionist, strength and conditioning programs, gym memberships, uh, hotel accommodation with, at the very least, working and reliable Wi-Fi, um, gear, more home-based training sessions to be, as you say, uh, recuperated for work lost, you know, it wasn't, um, I suppose, you know, was like, well, as we mentioned earlier, you weren't asking for a whole lot. It was just like the very basics that you would think would be needed to run an international setup. And we still didn't get
0: everything on that list. And if even if you want it now, you'll have to go asking for it. It won't just, it's still not the norm. You. It's yeah. not just automatically. Not programmed. They're lucky now that they can depend on clubs to provide a lot of this stuff. It, it is, there's a lot of onus being put on clubs, and that's why this is obviously brilliant for them as well. That most of the girls are professional.
1: You took the next question out of my mouth. I was about to say, ultimately, a deal was struck, and as you say, the game was played against uh, Slovakia. But which of the grievances do you feel were addressed, and how quickly, I guess? And then, second, which of them still need to be brought up to par?
0: Um, god. What was actually addressed?
1: Well, I think... Um,
2: what, what was addressed?
0: Um. <laughs> we well, well you know... We got the daily allowance.
2: Yeah, the money was was a, a big help for the
0: girls. Yeah. Um, Loss of earnings wasn't given, but again, like I said, there's very few people working full-time. And obviously the money is better now. Um, match fees and stuff is better now, but yeah. that wasn't addressed. But yeah, the, the money we... We're happy enough, I think, with that. And then I think we thought that the rest would kind of come and fall into place. But like I said, the landscape has just changed a little bit.
1: But do you think then the main thing to come out of it, like you were referencing there, is um girls had the opportunity then to go professional and also just the recognition that it brought to the whole situation? Yeah, but you know what? They it was also, it just worked
2: out very nicely as well, because a lot of the girls did go and play professional. Like they moved over to England, like a good chunk of the girls were playing in other countries. So that kind of side of things, I suppose, was kind of swept on the carpet. But the, the problem for me is the home-based players. Those are the ones that need the help. And going back, I'm not saying an academy, but you can have little groups
0: around the country um, so, from, you know, like, it's interesting now that there's a lot more home base sessions on now that we've qualified for the World Cup. They needed to be in place from 2017. Up but to, to these now. girls, let me ask you something, Karen.
2: Do you have a gym program? Do you have a personal trainer? Do you have a set program that you have to follow from the national team?
0: From the international team? Yeah. Um, They got given a program to do before these home-based trainings were set up before Christmas. Yes, since the Scotland game. And they're monitored. That I'd have to check. (laughs) Well, you didn't do them, obviously. (laughs) Well, no, like, I mean, these are just people who are called into the home base session. They're not like across the league. These are just people who are in those home base sessions um, Mm. who have potential to break into the international squad. That's the purpose of them to give better training once a week and stuff.
2: One of my big frustrations when I was playing was <laughs> that we couldn't compete physically with other teams, which for me is not good enough. Like whatever about the, on the technical level or, you know, playing against Spain, if they were just a better team, but if we cannot compete physically or we're not fit enough to to compete, that for me was just completely insane. And I didn't understand that. And I think that's where my frustrations come from. Whereas, you know, you don't need to get together as a team to do that. But what you do need is a professional to show girls what they have to do in the gym to help that. It's not about lifting weights. It's about, you know, triggering muscles that you need for speed and then, you know, working off different types of movement and things like that. And that's what you you know, used to really annoy me because that's not difficult. It is money, but it's not difficult because... And again,
0: that, that's that been put on the clubs to provide that more so now, I would say. Now, yeah. Professionalisation of the Women's National League clubs now is more in focus, but...
1: And would you say that's... A, up
0: to this year, no.
1: Yeah, would you say that's uh, widespread across the Women's National League, Karen? I mean, again, or? it depends on
0: how much money your club has. Can yeah. they afford to have an SNC in with you once a week? Or week, do you so get a been... program and then hope that the SNC can come in in a few weeks time, maybe? So it's, it's, it's all boils down to who can provide what with the resources that they have. And that's the money from the club. So.
1: Yeah. Take what you there's will. still
2: problems, a few little <laughs> niggling problems
1: <laughs> I was going to say um, retrospectively now, looking back because even looking at the list of you guys who were there, I mean, they're all names that absolutely everyone will be familiar with now within Irish women's football You know, you spoke of Anya Gorman, but Claire Shine, Nee Fatty Jeddah Beryl, Little Littlejohn, Nevery Burke, Katie McCabe, Julian Russell Megan Campbell, Diane Caldwell Stephanie Roach and Louise Quinn like these are a lot of the people who obviously uh, people would be familiar with, as um, some of whom make up the women's national team that have made it to the World Cup. Do you guys think, like, do you look at it as we touched on earlier as a turning point? Or I'm just curious as to whether you see the impact that it has had up until. I don't know. I'm just thinking. Oh God, we had a good team. We really didn't do anything with it. <laughs> <laughs> like when
0: you list out all those players? Like we should have been doing. We should have. Been achieving more than we were, yeah. And now they are achieving, so I guess you can call it a, a turning point.
2: I, yeah. I think it was just the timing of it as well. Mm-hmm. To be quite honest, like 2017 would have been that moment where <laughs> it is make or break for the girls. You either go and play professional mm-hmm. at a high level, or you you study and you work on your career. And at that stage in that era, a lot of girls were going professional because it was more widespread and clubs, you know, were coming in for them. So I, I just think it was good timing. And, yeah. and the fact is, it's, you know, we're six years later, they've had a good four years playing at a high level. And it, it takes that amount of time for mm-hmm. them to reach that level, to
1: to become accustomed to that standard. So I, I think it was the timing as well. And Emma, you had said at the time that you were fighting for the future of women's international football, that it wasn't just about you guys. Is that why now, you know, there was such an outpouring of emotion when they did qualify for the World Cup? And even things like the equal pay announcement and deals like that, is that why those kind of, they mean so much? Because you guys have seen worse times than there was now and how it's come on a, a, a bit even, I guess.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, well, for me, it means a lot because we've been through... That those years of, of, you know, not getting Anthony through the frustrations of not qualifying. Why didn't we qualify? We had the players, uh, because we don't train together because we meet up four days before the game because we don't, you know, get together enough because girls are training and working. And mm-hmm. um, so the first, all those frustrations, I suppose, just kind of left me when we qualified. And more so just, you know, for the girls and our country to be up there because I'm mm-hmm. so sick commentating with girls and listening to them talking about the World Cup and shut up. We could be there too. We need to be there too. And now we are. And even now, like it's changed when people talk about it, like over in Qatar ch- chatting with, you know, girls I've never spoken to before who have, are in World Cups and stuff, and they're like, "Oh yeah, Ireland qualified and blah blah blah." How many World Cups is this now? And I'm like, "Our first one." So now you know, first <laughs> And they're like, "So you've never played in a World Cup?" I'm like, "No, just the qualifiers, but we're playing in it now. That's <laughs> the main thing." Um. So yeah, for me, I just felt like a huge weight had been lifted. I don't have to talk about how close we got mm. or the nearlies. Um, because I'm absolutely sick of that, so sick of it.
1: And then just one other kind of thing I wanted to touch on. I know um, Kathleen was on Pat Kenny last week talking about the importance of female representation on sporting boards. And, you know, with the FAI recently, with the appointment of Eileen Gleeson as the head of women's football and also Roy Barrett stepping down as the FAI chairperson, um in a bid to facilitate gender balance improvement, it was said. Is that kind of an area that needs to be developed as well, that maybe there needs to be women in positions of leadership of the FAI?
2: Wait wait a minute. Someone stepped down from a position so they could balance the, the female ratio. Well, you
1: see, there is an actual... Nice government... line anyway, but... Yeah, that's... <laughs> that more about... About... There's a government directive that by December of this year all the national governing organisations have to have 40% female representation or they face a cut in government funding. So there's a push on now to have more female representation on the sporting boards. Um, but yeah, Karen, as you say, that's the line given on that one. But I'm just wondering, is that an area that you think would push things on further?
0: Yeah, it has to happen. I mean, like we spoke about it last Week, Um, we were just saying the, the the lack of female coaches and stuff. So, in any position of power or of influence, you need to have women to kind of make it the norm and bring more women in. So it's just kind of that rolling thing, like the cliche, can't see, can't be. But again, it just keeps it to the forefront of people's minds. You can't like let the progress slip. Like women's the trajectory of women's football is completely on the up, and they need to capitalize on the momentum. And again, a timing thing, like 2017 was a great timing for us. This is a great timing. World Cup year, such a focus on women. Now this gender balance coming in, let's keep pushing, keep um, capitalizing on that. So I think it's a good thing. I think that there's a lot of women in this country who have a lot to offer in those kind of positions just to bring a more balanced view, bring more focus um, to the women's game. It's not going to detract from the men's game. I think that's what people... Kind of argument is oh there's more men playing there's these women are still going to advocate for men it's just literally about having a balanced view across the board.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's I think it's only a good thing, but doesn't necessarily mean it's good for women's football. No, (laughs) having that that ratio, like, or it doesn't necessarily mean it's it's bad for men's football. It depends on the person, and I'm very strongly opinionated. It's the person if they're good enough. It doesn't really matter if it's male or female. Hmm. But the problem is that we have to bring in this rule because females just don't get on these boards, which is, you know, discrimination, Um, which I think is really sad that a law has to be brought in. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting, isn't it? There'll be a lot of pressure on that female who goes in there. Hmm. All eyes on
1: them.
0: You wouldn't put your hand up, Emma, no?
1: That's what I was about to ask you, you are going running? (laughs) Start the election campaign now. I'd (laughs) vote. You better. I know where you live. (laughs) Um, But yeah, and then finally I guess um, as you said Karen, there's going to be a lot of attention around the women's national team and women's football in Ireland. You would imagine even more so now that they've made it to the World Cup and um, everyone will be talking about that but do you think it's important that uh, you might be too humble now to be saying you guys yourself, so maybe I'll put it on the likes of Linda Gorman and Olivia O'Toole. You know, these are names that are starting to be brought into the public consciousness. They should have been there a long time ago, but as we reference at the start, you know, there's been a long journey to get to this point, and there's a lot of people who have been a part of that process.
2: Long be- long list yeah. Long, long list of players. You know, it's, it's too long to even talk about. Even my generation, you know, the Kira grants and stuff like that. Of course, you can't forget about these players and, you know, just little, little things like being invited to games and stuff like that. That should have been happening, but someone should have been in there fighting for that. And this is my point. If I'm a female working in that environment, I'm going to go over the top with stuff like that because nobody else is fighting for it. That's what I don't get with with the females who were in that position that didn't fight for it.
1: Mm.
2: Oh dear, I'm sorry. Go away, ma'am.
1: <laughs> for sure, maybe we'll uh, leave it there. Anyways, um, as we mentioned, Liberty Hall, never to be forgotten, is maybe a turning point in. And- in Irish uh, women's football and I'm sure there's another one to come in Australia this summer but uh, for now anyways normality will resume next week with the return of Kathleen McNamee as well as the WSL itself but for now I've been Alana my thanks to Emma and Karen there for all of their insights uh, thanks for listening and be sure and tune in next Tuesday
0: The Coygig Pod on OTB Sports in association with Cadbury a player and a half deserves a glass and a half of support